How's it going, guys? Uh, just me and Joel here again. Um, we just logged in and hit record straight away. And I think we said we would talk about the whole Assange thing, Julian Assange, and the hashtag uh, free uh, Assange now, right? Yeah. And um, mate, I know you're very much kind of vocal about it, and um, you often post on X about free Assange and. I think you put a post out recently because obviously the um, case is being seen now um, about his extradition case and you put something out recently that said something along the lines of um, this is like a pivotal moment in um, our freedom and journalistic um, freedom as well. So maybe do you want to give me your insight on that, Joel? So a very quick rundown before we go into a whole media rant again. I feel like this has been the f last four episodes. <laughs> we have hit the media quite hard recently, haven't we? You know, fuckers don't do their job. Um, I think it goes much broader than um, the whole media landscape because obviously he published warlocks. He published crimes committed by people who got Nobel Prizes. Um, and at the end of the day, he's not the one being... He's not actually being prosecuted. His case is so ridiculously stupid. He's not even being hurt by the appeal court to say what he has to say to not get extradited to the US. Um, it's, again, the special relationship between the UK and US working here. And I think it's a much more uh, broader case that should be taken seriously by a whole lot of people because it goes far beyond the media landscape. Imagine if you imagine if you just publish a piece of information online. It doesn't have to be a video showing how American soldiers basically shoot down journalists and their kids in vans. It can be something as simple as, um, I don't know, I don't find it fair that we over-regulate tech. And for some reason, the state just goes like, oh yeah, that's actually quite hard and quite uh, extreme. We're going to lock you in now. What kind of what kind of a country are we living in if these kind of standards became normal? And once you actually are locked in, um, you don't even have the chance to appeal uh, or, or to 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 basically meet whoever is um, issuing these charges against you. It's just shut up and take it. And, and this is quite worrisome if you think about it on a much more broader scale. Um, but what do you think, Ian? I think. One of the um, headlines I saw recently was um, like the US responded in a way and said um, he put um, lives at risk by releasing this um, information and that was kind of like the basis of their argument. But I was like, but what about all the lives that he saved? What about the um, narratives that were otherwise suppressed from us that we've now because of him, understand a little bit more, right? And um, it kind of brings into question and doubt the narratives that we're being fed uh, day to day in the media and the bias and the things that they uh, choose to omit from their reporting, right? And he was merely just shedding um, light over an issue that was gonna put at risk uh, many, many uh, lives and the uh, liberty of people when the motivations in going to war as well. And I find the fact that he's been put through this ordeal is kind of a message to other journalists to tread carefully and don't um, report on things that you might come across. Because if you do, you're going to suffer the same consequences as Julian Assange. And it's kind of a message to everybody to sort of um, tread carefully. 
And I, I think that's, you know, the clear message. And all this time, the years that he's been either, you know, in hiding or sort of not hiding, but, you know, in the Ecuadorian embassy and now he's in prison and God knows the conditions he's living under. He's no doubt under a lot of stress and uncertainty. And, you know, obviously a lot of campaigns are going out with his wife and um, brother and everyone trying to actually put the message out there. And I just wonder sometimes whether people just sort of don't care as much as they should about it and the significance of what is at stake here for not just uh, journalists, but everyone as a whole. So I I think the, the case is a bit more personal with me because I know Gabriel quite well, his brother. Um, I've mm. also met Stella a few times, his dad as well. Uh, I actually, uh, I flew back from uh, Zurich uh, October two years ago and by accident I wore a free Assange shirt and they were also at the airport seeing me with the shirt, so that was quite fun. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, I think it is just another example of, you know, also a bit of the arrogance of our society, and I'm not talking about the journalists in particular, um, God forbid they are actually uh, ignorant about the whole topic at hand. Uh, I remember seeing a clip by CNN going, hang on, the CIA tried to p kill uh, Assange under Pompeo, and everyone, everyone sort of familiar with the case went like, yeah, that's information about four years old at this point. Um, I think Yahoo News uh, published the investigation back then. And the CNN journalists, like CNN being the golden standard in the mainstream media, went like, oh, we didn't notice. Like, really? You didn't think that the CIA is trying to kill people that oppose their views? Like, this doesn't... I don't have to put on a tinfoil hat to basically not sound crazy about these news. We have seen multiple times that the CIA has basically also dethroned entire governments and uh, started civil wars and this kind of shit. And it's just mind-boggling to me that people take this in and go like, yeah, you know, whatever. He had the choice. He could have just shut up mm. about it. And this is where I really get railed up, where I go like, but we shouldn't shut up about injustice. And it, it, it is inhumane and injustice that American soldiers just gun down people from above, actually laugh about it in the video. You then publish this piece of information and the US with their um, super control, basically thanks to the fiat standard, because they are the world reserve currency, has the possibility to put so much pressure on every country in the world to shut up about it. I go, if that is if that is the reality we live in, and it appears that we are living in this reality, sorry, this is a failed concept. This is neither democratic for all of your uh, pro-liberal democracy people out there. Um, this is where democracy actually dies in darkness, to use the Washington Post's uh, quote, and is this really a future you want your kids or, or your, your future generations to live in? And I kind of go like, no. And the only logical answer there is to stand up against this and make people aware about this injustice that's being done. Not only to uh, Julian as a whole, but also I, I think to potentially a lot of people in the future if these kind of cases continue. Because Ian... Uh, I have to ask now, as a fellow police officer, if the state once has a case where they can go like, oh, you know, he did this, we can use this as an example to further justify future cases, they'll just do it, right? Yeah, it's difficult because I think these sort of matters kind of elevate beyond even the day-to-day -day laws and the, the structures that are put in place for everybody else. There's almost like this kind of next level out of reach judicial justice decision making that goes beyond the reach of normal day-to-day -day, um, activities within the legal realm, I think. And, you know, that, that makes you think about 
the um, operation of the the state as a whole and and how it can just sort of like circumvent um, normal everyday rules, you know, at any given time, if there's any particular kind of elements in place for them to cling on to in order to justify what it is that they're trying to do. And, you know, with Stella, um, you know, I first sort of saw her in person at Bitcoin Amsterdam when she was giving a keynote speech there and the sort of, like the, I don't know, you can kind of see in her this drive to continue to put this, this message out and it must be completely and utterly exhausting and um, frustrating to sort of keep pursuing this and obviously you know it's for Julian's sake and her husband but it's also you know this kind of it's become this um, I don't know what you would call it this vocation to sort of like really remind everyone and She's really working hard and the whole team around her brother and everyone. And I really feel for them as, as a family. And, you know, I saw the gathering out of the court the other day and it was nice seeing so many people turning up, um, you know, in support. I just don't know if it's going to really make any difference ultimately because the superpower that is the US, it, they don't care about what people want and what people say. They'll just get what they want. Anyway, and you talk earlier about this sort of special relationship between the UK and the US, that that kind of sort of like signals to me, you know, you know, sort us out here and we sort you out there, you know, these sort of deals under the table in, in the room where it happens, if you like. And yeah, it's, it's, and also you made a point as well, and I don't want to drag on too much because I can see you no, no, talking. No, no, go ahead. Go um, ahead. The, the whole kind of, citizens sort of some of them saying oh well you know he knew the risks and he put like american lives in danger and yeah that's probably true he did know the risk and he probably did know that it's going to put american li lives at risk in a way um but also what is the bigger message here and you know what is the motivations behind these states particularly the us being the global reserve currency and the superpower in the world and the tentacles that reach into every aspect of our daily lives out in the west and everywhere else and the indoctrination of citizens um you know through the educational system through the media we're taught from an early age who's good who's bad what states have you know got uh, which states are enemies of, of the state and all that kind of stuff. And it's an indoctrination in us that, you know, we carry with us and all of a sudden you become um, allegiant to the flag of your country. And, you know, you think, oh, it's for the greater good and it's for our safety and civil liberties here. And we don't want it coming over to our shores. And people sort of like start to believe that nonsense and it blinds their reality and, and their um, objectivity in, in the world, really. And that's my rant over with, so carry on. Two points there. I, I don't think it's going to make a massive difference. This is also what Team Assange is saying. And they're hoping, and this is where it gets really crazy with this story. They're hoping to be uh, to appeal the decision and take it in front of uh, Den Haag, so of the Human Rights Court, and I kind of dug into this. Last year, Ian, we had 63 cases of a similar fashion. So appeal, extradition, and they were trying to, as a last resort, use, I think, Section 39 of the Human Rights Convention or something. Mm. Out of those 63 cases, how many of them do you think have actually been hurt by the 
bear in mind, Human Rights Court. A tiny number, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, go on, you tell me. One. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not saying that all of these 63 cases, obviously, everyone is, you know, um, is a victim and like, you know, you should have sympathies and so but this is about... It's an indicator. But yeah, it's about it, human rights. Everyone should have a mm. fair chance to at least be hurt. I mean, what happened to proven until guilty? Uh, uh, um, uh, what's the fucking saying? Innocent until proven Thank you. Thank guilty. you. Thank you. I, I missed <laughs> one word. Um, <laughs> what, what happened to that? And, and, and these were also cases, you know, stuff like... Um, uh, people in dictatorships being locked uh, into prison, and also the whole fucking Navalny thing. Our politicians over here were, were all over Twitter for two and a half days, stating how injustice this is that he died in prison. Uh, which okay, we could maybe put Navalny's political views and stuff out of the w window because he also had some pretty right wing extreme views. Um, but on the narrow basis, yes, it is horrible to die in prison because the state put you there. But all of you look away what's happening in England. All of you look away what potentially could happen in the future as well. And this is where I went, why do we even have these human rights conventions and these laws if we're not actually holding up to them? And to not make it like a super sad episode, to, uh, to tie it back to Bitcoin, this is, I think, the difference. If you have the protocol rules written down in Bitcoin, if you want to be part of the network, you have to play by those rules. In the fiat world, you don't have to play by the rules. There are different rules for you based on how much fiat or control you have in that world. Um, and I think this, court, this, this, this case, again, proves it that, yes, we do have rules and laws and stuff in place, but they get thrown out of the window if a special interest or a special relationship um, could be at the brink of collapse. So you do everything uh, basically out of law and order to keep this relationship alive. And this is what I think is really the the sad part about this story. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, probably one, I mean, fingers crossed that Julian's case is going to be heard. Now they've sort of done the best they can be as vocal and as public about it as possible and put a lot of pressure on them. Um, and from what I've heard from the Assange team, they can put a lot of pressure locally in specific countries and such. Um, but yeah, you, you're still at the whim of, you know, the US government and spe specifically the military industrial complex, which is not going to give up. They're going to make an example out of him. Yeah, it is, it is quite pathetic to think about having human rights and no one actually giving a shit. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just moronic. This, this is all, all I can say there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, I feel that you have these things like the Human Rights Act and Convention and you have these laws and um, stuff that are put in place, but I wonder sometimes whether it's just a facade, right? It's just, yeah, we've got these things in place, it's there for your safety to protect you and all that kind of stuff. but. Really, they can just justify using other laws to circumvent additional laws, or they can just create new laws that will get what they want anyway. They, they, they're the ones writing the script. They're the ones that are deciding how much freedom each and every one of us can have at any given time. They're the ones that are deciding what words and the construct of our words that we put in place from one after to the next then constitutes a criminal offence. You know, they, they, they can tighten up and restrict our liberty to suit their needs. 
And you see it over time. You see now over in the UK, for example, they're really putting tight restrictions on um, our ability to protest. You can argue about how effective protesting is. And obviously now what the media are doing is really not shining the light on protests anymore. If you go out of London every weekend, you see the amount of people that turn up for the um, Palestinian, um, you know, uh, protecting Palestine and all that kind of stuff. Mate, every weekend, is it reported? No, it's kind of ignored. And the only time it's ever really reported is if, for example, I don't know, they used, uh, you know, some examples of some behaviour of one or two people during this protest of many hundreds, maybe thousands of people to then sort of bring in new laws to avoid people doing that sort of stuff again in the future. You know, so they're sort of like waiting for us to do something that they can justify putting these laws in place for. And, you know, all we're trying to do is demonstrate and protest, you know, what it is that we want in life. And that is, you know, some elements of freedom. And the more we protest it, the more they kind of put a harder grip on us and restrict them. And that can only go on so long, right? And when you've got this perpetual fiat system that perpetuates in a way that, you know, they can ultimately control our uh, money, uh, they can erode our purchasing power, they can make our living a little bit more uncomfortable. And you mentioned Bitcoin earlier, that is a potential opt out of their sort of control and reach over us, right? Because you've got something now that is out of the reach of the state and the central authorities where you can sort of put your wealth in and, and sort of like free yourself from at least some of the restrictions that they put in place on each and every one of us. Yeah, and I've been thinking about uh, Jeff Booth's book um, uh, lately, and you know, in it he describes how technology is deflationary. Best case example today: the price of tomorrow. Yeah, the, today. Uh, thank you. I forgot the title. <laughs> Jeff Booth's Jeff Booth's book. That's enough. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in it he describes technology is deflationary. And if you think about it, your smartphone today it could be a torch uh it could basically be a calculator it could be everything phone what it should be actually it can also be a information and um and a broadcasting device so all of these mm. things back in the days used to be separate technologies or separate items and now you have everything in one and the same is obviously also happening with information and what I find so staggering, whether that be in the UK, and we, by the way, also have similar discussions over here in Austria or in the EU generally, going like, how fair is it to protest? And then they speak about democracy and, you know, keeping that up. But like, mate, part of being in a democracy is having people who have different opinions or just feel that some injustice is being done, at least have the possibility to just go out on the street. It's not about, you know, starting a rumble or starting another revolution or whatever. It's about, well, meet at two o'clock on a Saturday in, I don't know, 100k um, um, groups and we'll go out there and we just make our voices heard. If that is not even allowed and people can talk about all day long that we in the West living like pri privileged uh, societies that we have democracy and everything... If I can go out to the street and say what I want to say, I'm no different than any citizen in a tyranny when a dictatorship. Um, and the only difference possibly is that I earn a bit more money, which they're going to tax away anyway because they want to increase tax uh, at the end of the day. So the only logical outcome is to actually look for solutions that are deflationary um, or on the path to being deflationary. And Bitcoin is definitely on the top of that list. So 
to me, this is so staggering. If I then talk to friends who have begun realizing that the issue is not with, you know, capitalism or all of these, um, mm. again, narratives that are being told to us, right, from a very early age, mm. they're actually with money itself. And it's very hard to then not sound like Alex Jones when you explain to them <laughs> why know, Bitcoin yeah. is good. Um, mm. And it's not just about the investment of number go up thing, but also about um, the opportunity to finally own something outright. And uh, it was so crazy, not be a slave to one system, because that's what we are if we are in the fiat system. I'm not stating we can escape it immediately. You still need fiat on and off ramps to get into Bitcoin, right? So you, we're at that brink of it's technically good enough to be independent, I think, but we still need that hook into the current system currently, um, unless you have enough Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, doing that transition, explaining to people what it is, this is a real struggle for me lately. And uh, but I think I think I'm not alone in this. I think a lot of Bitcoiners uh, share this struggle or share these, the, mm. these kind of discussions. I think... <laughs> Bitcoin can be a hard sell and look, I, I, I'm getting better at, you know, trying to explain it in a succinct way that kind of encapsulates the, the essence of it. Um, because, you know, trying to sort of sit down with somebody and explain this abstract thing that, you know, what fiat money is and decentralization, blah, 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 is difficult and it's, it takes a lot of time and it. It requires somebody who's willing to be curious to understand a bit more about it. And I think you mentioned at risk of sounding like Alex Jones. I think the initial thought I had was, yeah, when you start saying capitalism and stuff, I think people have got a skewed idea of what that is. And you can't really have capitalism under fiat money. Um, it can't exist in it's natural pure form because you've got you know this um skewed um perpetuation of who gets the control in the world right and as soon as they turn the money print around they can then sort of allocate the money where they think it belongs and do these dodgy dealings whereas bitcoin that's not possible but that's not the point i want to sort of focus on it's it's the kind of idea that people have of Bitcoin for them to sort of like give it a chance to disentangle or detach themselves from the FUD of what bad is about Bitcoin. They hear about uh, it's bad for the environment. They hear all like the fear, uncertainty and doubt about it. And they kind of like through their legacy mindset of the fiat system that is perpetuated this message in their heads it's hard to sort of untangle yourself from that to see it through a pure lens and then realize actually Bitcoin isn't bad for the environment. It's actually a net positive. You know, that's when you start to scratch behind the surface a little bit and sort of maybe it will spark enough curiosity in people to look a bit more. But that's what I mean. It's a hard sell. It, it, it kind of is difficult to sort of find that hook for people and for them to invest a little bit more time than just a flick of a 60 second clip on YouTube and sort of like just do a little bit more investigation. And I don't know if people have got the time, patience, or they're just already like, ruled it out somehow. Yeah, because guess what? The most scarce asset in the world is our time. And at the end of the day, 
who's taking away this time from us again it is the fiat hustle because you, you have right. stuff like inflation you have stuff to worry about like financial uncertainty and all of these things that our result out of the modern poli uh, monetary policies we are being faced with by central banks uh mm. and, and this is sort of this you know this this ever going debt spiral or just this this um very frustrating spiral where people end up going i should take i'm just saying something like, like four hours a day to invest my time into this and if you think about it four hours two hours before work two hours after work or an hour before work and three hours after work is technically possible but be people are so beat at the end of the day and they yeah, also yeah. want to enjoy life you know they want to go out with friends have mm. a bit of a social gathering um, and mate, it's depressing out there. You've got to yeah. switch on the TV, hear the news. Mate, you just want to disassociate after a while. Why would you want to look more? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's almost by design in a way, right? Yeah, so it, it is a really, really complicated system. And this is when I, you know, sometimes still cringe if people say like, oh, Bitcoin gives me hope because I feel my time is being, um, I get fed mm. more time. But thinking about it in the long run, yes, there is some merit to this because at the end of the day, you start realizing, oh, I... If I actually do this right, and I'm not talking about investing, but allocating my time in the best manner possible, I'll actually get a huge beneficial out of this. And this can be a monetary one, this can be knowledge, or this could just be a peace of mind. And yeah, if you go down that rabbit hole, this is where it really gets crazy. Like you say, it's almost as if the system is designed for you to not have this time um, and for that time to being inflated away so that you cannot educate yourself about things that really matter to you in life because for everyone this is different right um so yeah well i i, I don't know it, it kind of begs my question is time deflationary or inflationary <laughs> <laughs> that's a question i'm gonna have to go away and really think about and go down a rabbit hole myself with that one but and that's why there was so many sort of new Bitcoiners coming into the space during COVID because suddenly people had time on their hands, right? To sort of like really sort of sit in a little bit of discomfort and boredom and sort of like find things that, you know, would entertain them or find new interests in a way. And that was kind of like probably an unforeseen um, circumstance. It was an unforeseen um coincidence or something like that you know with with covid and the lockdowns right you know it gave birth to a whole new wave of bitcoiners and it just sort of displays your point nice and clearly really in that in that regard because the less time we have the less time we have to invest at being curious about things that we might otherwise want to question about our discomfort in life yeah uh yeah, I think we just opened up a new portal into rabbit hole stories as a podcast because uh, yeah, you could you could go down a rabbit hole for every topic we basically face on this show. Um, and looking back now to the episode, it's kind of funny we started off with the again meter topic into Assange, mm. and we end up at the question if 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 time at the end of the day is a construct and if it's been taken away from us or if we're gaining more. Um, quite fascinating, but for all of the listeners. We don't want to waste more of your precious time. So mm. with that, Ian, I think it's safe to say we still need to be optimistic about the future. It can't be all this bad. <laughs> and luckily, if we know that we could change something, we're able to do it. Hashtag study Bitcoin. And while you do that, stay curious. <laughs>